Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Summer in the Gospels. This summer, we're spending our Sunday mornings in the Gospels, which are the first four books in the New Testament. In each passage, Jesus teaches an important lesson about what it means to follow Him. When we read these scriptures, it will help us learn more about Jesus and how to help us follow Him. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Welcome again to our series, Summer in the Gospels. We're glad you're here, whether you're joining us in the house or online. Just a reminder, this summer we're challenging you in a, in a godly way to Read through the Gospels throughout the summer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We also want to encourage you, if you'd like to join our group that's reading together on the Bible app, you can do that. You can go to our website and you can connect with us, and we would be more than happy to send you an invitation to be a part of that. So this morning, I want to share a story with you from my childhood. When I was in my preteen years, I was a Boy Scout for a few years, and while I didn't progress very far in the scouting program. While I was in it, I really enjoyed the camping trips. For one such trip, our leaders planned a spelunking trip into Tennessee. Now, if you're not familiar with the term spelunking, it's the hobby of exploring caves. As I anticipated that trip, you know, I envisioned this this huge opening in the side of a mountain that we would just walk right into So you can imagine my surprise when our leader led us out into the woods to a hole in the ground, a a hole that was not much bigger than two average-sized people standing side by side. So with helmets on and headlamps, we lowered ourselves into the cave. And you know what? That cave never got much bigger in width than maybe three average-sized people. But thankfully, we could see the people who were ahead of us coming down above us and the people who were below us who had gone further into the cave. And at sometimes that cave would just come in and it would be just wide enough for one person to go through it. And sometimes it would get bigger. So it was in and out. Somewhere about an hour in, One of the guys in our troop began to get claustrophobic, and I can understand that completely. In fact, his claustrophobia got so so bad, he was panicky, and he needed to get out. You know, and it would have been awesome if there had been a huge, wide opening that he could just have walked out into daylight and into open spaces, but that was not an option that we had. The only option was to go back the way we had come in, through that narrow passageway. It was the only way out, and just as it had not been easy coming down into, it was not any easier coming back out of, and that was just from somebody like me who wasn't going through a claustrophobic panic attack. And to his credit, this guy persevered. And slowly but surely, he climbed back out the narrow way, back into light and into life and into wide open spaces. And thankfully, his claustrophobia went away. 
I tell you that story because today I want to go deeper into a passage that we've talked about before, and it's about the two ways. Jesus said this, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Now, the translators of this version, the New Living Translation, have sought to be clear about what Jesus is talking about in this passage, and they do that by adding some words that they feel Jesus implied, but those words aren't in the original Greek. They understood, though, that in the first sentence, when Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, that Jesus was talking about becoming a follower of Jesus and thus entering God's kingdom. And then in the next sentence, in the original Greek, it says, the other gate that is wide takes one to the road that leads to destruction. But these translators chose to translate the original Greek, uh, which is the road that leads to destruction, as the highway to hell. Those interpreters have taken all the guesswork out of what Jesus means by the narrow gate and the wide gate. They wanted to make sure everyone understood what Jesus was talking about. And so do I. Jesus wants us to know that there are two ways to live this life. God's way or the way of the world. God's way leads to life and specifically eternal life And the world's way ultimately leads to eternal separation from God in the place the Bible calls hell. This passage comes in the concluding verses of Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And throughout the entire sermon, Jesus tells us what it looks like to enter the narrow way into God's kingdom. Let's be clear, Jesus isn't telling us what to do to get to heaven, not at all, because we can't work our way into heaven with good deeds, and Jesus knows that. What Jesus is doing is showing us the values of God's kingdom, and from the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus states what we commonly call the Beatitudes, we see clearly the values of God's kingdom, and they are not the values of this world. For instance, Jesus said, in God's kingdom, the poor in spirit are blessed. But we know the world says that the rich are blessed. And Jesus goes on to say that those in God's kingdom who mourn are blessed, while the world's way would say the exact opposite. And Jesus continues saying that God's kingdom kingdom values those who are meek, It values those who desire righteousness. It values those who give mercy to others. It values those who are pure. It values those who make peace. And it values those who are persecuted. These are not the values of the world. The world does not value people in those positions that I just mentioned. In that sermon, Jesus also goes on to challenge the way of the world that seeks to maintain the status quo of doing, according to the world, the right thing. But in a series of different scenarios, Jesus raises the bar for his followers. He says that how we live regarding how we 
speak to others needs to have the bar raised. He says how we deal with lustful thoughts needs to have the bar raised. How we handle marriage and how easily we do divorce, that bar needs to be raised. How we deal with making promises so flippantly, that needs to be raised. Taking revenge, our attitude about revenge, that needs to be raised. And and how we treat our enemy, Jesus says, that needs to be raised. He's showing that there's a different way to live for those who are part of the kingdom of God. He's casting a vision that the way of God's kingdom compared to the way of the world is an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom where the values of service, generosity, and love for all people is elevated. And that's why Jesus says in verse 14, the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. And when he means find it, he means enter it. So it's narrow because it's not the way of the rest of the world. It's narrow because the way of God's kingdom is countercultural. It's difficult because it's not doing the things that everyone else is doing. And it's not choosing the values that everyone else is choosing. It's difficult because people will take advantage of you when you serve them, when you're generous to them, and when you love them unconditionally. It's difficult because people will mock you and judge you and persecute you for following the way of Jesus. It's difficult because of all of these things, and it will challenge you personally to your core. Because it's difficult, and you will wrestle internally with the personal cost of following Jesus. The cost to your ego, the cost to your popularity, the cost to your bank account, the cost to your own temptations to follow the ways of the world. And when you embrace the way of God's kingdom and you seek to go deeper into following Jesus, you will find following the narrow way to be difficult in a new way also. Because it will challenge your human tendencies. For some of you, it will be difficult for you because you will want to follow your thoughts and your ways, but your thoughts and your ways aren't the ways and the thoughts of God. For some of you, it will be difficult because you will want to politicize and align following Jesus with your political views. But Jesus isn't a Democrat or a Republican or or any other political persuasion. For some of you, it will be difficult because you will want to declare winners and losers in the culture wars. And Jesus doesn't call his followers to be winners. He calls his followers to be servants. For some of you, it will be difficult because your natural tendency can be to see some people as friends and other people as enemies, but Jesus calls everyone to treat both friends and enemies the same and pray for them both alike. There are two ways. One way is the way of the world. It's an anything goes way. It's the way of the culture where you can do what you want to do, say what you want to say, be what you want to be, and live like you want to live. The way of the world looks exciting and enticing. It looks like fun forever. 
And it looks and feels easy. And it can be all of those things until it isn't anymore. The way of God's kingdom is God's way. And it's not an anything goes way. It turns the way of the world upside down and shows us what has true value and meaning. It shows us what truly is important and what really matters and what will last forever. It's the narrow way. So how do you get to that way? Well, there's only one way. So let's talk about that. Jesus is the only way. As Jesus knew, the time was drawing near to when he would be arrested and uh, tried and beaten and crucified. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was still thinking about his followers, both then and now. And so this is what he said in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Uh, No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You know, people get upset about the doctrine of the exclusivity of Christ being the only way into God's kingdom and to salvation. The culture of this world rejects this and it calls Christianity intolerant. The way of the world wants to say what is true for you is true for you. But what is true for me is true for me. Now, that's moral relativism. And moral relativism is the belief that there is no absolute truth, but rather what is true depends on variables, such as the situation or the culture or one's feelings or one's thoughts. And we could go on with that list. The way of the world with its moral relativistic worldview wants to say that all religions, and even no religions, lead to salvation. And in fact, there are some Christians who would embrace this view, but this view, let me be clear, is not orthodox Christianity. It's just universalism. As one writer defines it, universalism is the belief that everyone will be saved There are many people today who hold to universal salvation and believe that all people eventually end up in heaven. Perhaps it is the thought of men and women living a life of eternal torment in hell that causes some to reject the teaching of Scripture on this issue. For some, it's the overemphasis on the love and compassion of God and the neglect of the righteousness and justice of God that leads them to believe that God will have mercy on every living soul. But the scriptures do teach that some people will spend eternity in hell. In fact, in the parable of the goats and the sheep in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us that those who follow his way will receive, excuse me, those who don't follow his way will receive eternal punishment. And those who do follow his way will receive eternal life. 
So the question has to be then, how does someone avoid eternal punishment? Well, you know, while people believe the love and mercy of God means that he will let all people into heaven, that's not what God's word tells us. Rest assured, it is God's mercy and his unconditional love that has let, that led him to send his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross and thus become the ultimate sacrificial payment for the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins, everybody's sins. But it's the same God who makes it clear in his word that Jesus is the one and only way to eternal life. We've already heard Jesus himself say that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father, no one gets to heaven except through him. But there's more in Scripture that testifies to this. In the book of Acts, we read this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And we know this is talking about Jesus In another passage of scripture, it says, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. And then there's the ever popular verse, John 3, 16, that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The testimony of God's word shows us that Jesus is the only way to have eternal life and to be saved. Accepting, in other words, embracing the exclusivity of Christ and salvation is a non-negotiable doctrine of Christianity. And to say that those who reject God's provision of salvation through his son will be saved is to belittle the holiness and justice of God and negate the need of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. It's saying that his crucifixion was meaningless. And we know that's not true. Now, while I've focused on Jesus saying he is the way, he also said he is the truth and the life. So let me turn to an expert. New Testament professor D.A. Carson writes about this saying, Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God and the life of God. Jesus is the truth because he embodies the supreme revelation of God. He himself narrates God and says and does exclusively what the Father gives him to say and to do. And indeed, he is properly called God in Scripture. He is God's gracious self-disclosure, his word made flesh, the Bible says. Jesus is the life we read in Scripture. He is the one who has life in himself, the Bible tells us. He is the resurrection and the life as he called himself. And he is the one true God in eternal life. Only because he is the truth and the life can Jesus be the way for others to come to God. So Jesus is the only way to God and his kingdom. And remember what Jesus said, the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. So that necessitates something. It necessitates a decision because once we are told that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the way we enter the narrow way 
is deciding to believe that he is the way. So in a similar passage in the Gospel of Luke to what we read earlier from Matthew, Jesus said some more things about entering by the narrow way. And it's a little bit longer passage, and it'll need a little explanation, but let me read it to you. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are there only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. And where are, did you come from? Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when they see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and from the west, from the north and the south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Theology professor Trent Butler points out that in Jesus' day, the powerful religious system and tradition was the wide way to hell. It wasn't the, the secular way of the world that I've been talking about. When he said, while Christ's way of love is the narrow way to salvation, reversing all the ways of human thinking. And he goes on to point out that when someone asked Jesus who would be saved, this person was asking a question which everybody wanted the answer for. And so, Professor Butler explains, they seem to think knowing the number of people who would be saved would give them the odds that they needed to know that they were going to make it. But salvation is not based on human odds, he writes. Salvation is built on divine initiative and divine grace. If this teaching of Jesus is true, then the question arose from honest fear. A secure Judaism that equated itself with the kingdom faced a claim that the most pious of the Jewish leaders would not make it into the kingdom. So if not them, who will? Only a privileged few? Well, Jesus confirmed their fears. You see, the wide gate of Phariseeism made provisions for so many people who tried to carry out the tradition's laws. It apparently paid little attention to the attitude of the heart as long as the ritual actions of the hands were clean. The only gate to heaven, however is narrow. Many will try and fail. They think they know the secret entryway, but they do not. Their way of religious righteousness does not work. They must know Jesus, who is the only way to heaven. They must seek to hear and understand and practice his word. This is the way of entry. Now, this is an important insight because Jesus is addressing the religious people, not the unbelievers. He's saying, be careful. There is a way to heaven, and it's not through religious activity. It's not through legalistic following of religious do's and don'ts. It's not even by keeping the Ten Commandments because one can keep the letter of the law and entirely miss the heart of the law. 
Now from there, Jesus goes on challenging the Pharisees saying, if you didn't enter through the narrow gate, you will not be let in because Jesus said he will say he doesn't know them. While these leaders have followed the law to the nth degree and they have extrapolated out what the most minute implications are, they will not be let in. And we see their protest when Luke writes, they said, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But again, Jesus said, I don't know you. So Professor Butler says, Jesus is saying this, you can see all you want, you can converse all you want, you can hear all I teach, you can be present with me throughout my ministry. You have not known fully who I am and what I am up to. You know me not. You refuse to believe in me, to practice my word, to enter my kingdom. I never knew you then. I never knew the way you tried to travel to get to heaven. The way of tradition and law does not work. I have been calling for you to come and follow me. Now the time for that is over. Get away from me, workers of unrighteousness. You had your chance. That's what he says Jesus is saying. And then in this passage, Jesus concludes with this saying, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Jesus is driving his point home with the religious traditionalists. They thought that they were guaranteed a place in God's final kingdom. They thought everyone must submit to their religious rules and regulations to enter the kingdom. This automatically then would exclude all the Gentiles who did not become Jewish converts. Jesus wants those who think they are at the head of the line entering the kingdom to know that they have another shocking thing to come. The Gentiles from all over will enter the kingdom before they do. So they had better pay close attention to Jesus. He is the only way into the kingdom. I can't help but see that Jesus may be speaking to us. Uh, maybe you have a religious life. You attend church. You give your tithes and offerings to God. You serve here and there. You keep the Ten Commandments and other things that you consider to be your religious duty. But have you entered by the narrow way? God isn't looking for religious people. He's looking for a relationship with people, a relationship through faith in his son, Jesus. Religion wants something from you. Jesus and God want something for you. And that is a relationship. A relationship that will bring you a full life while you're on this earth. And that will bring you eternal life once your body ceases to live. And you can only have that through faith in Jesus because he is the narrow way. Now, don't get me wrong. Once you enter in through the narrow way and start following Jesus, yes, you will do things that some people will say are religious activities, but you're not doing them out of a legalistic rule. You're doing them out of that relationship with Jesus. So you have to decide. What way are you going to go? 
I will say this, when it comes to this decision, I believe it's a decision that we constantly need to be aware of because the way of the world wants to draw us away from Jesus. And so we need to regularly recommit to following the way of Jesus into the kingdom of God. It's not about losing something, it's about drifting away. And so we have to pursue that relationship every day. Let me go back and remind you of something that Jesus said. He said, the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. Now, because the way is only through Jesus, we have to be prepared that this may bring difficulties and hardship and even persecution because not everybody believes what we believe about Jesus. So we know that Jesus is the way. He's the narrow way. And when we profess our faith in him, we enter into the narrow way. And in that relationship, he will give us an abundant life here on earth and eternal life in heaven as we follow him and as we get to know him and God the Father and what they have for us. So I want to encourage you today to make that decision to pass through the narrow way to life and eternal life. And I want to encourage you because we're part of God's kingdom work. We're better together that we need to be able to share that message with others. Share what Jesus means to us and how he's changed your life. So as I bring this message to a close today, I want to pray for everyone that they would every day make a decision to tune into Jesus and to follow the way because you've committed that relationship to him. Now, if you've never committed a relationship to a relationship with Jesus, then today's your day to do that. And you can do that simply by telling him that you believe in him and want to follow him. And so when we move into our prayer time, I'm going to give you the opportunity to begin that relationship. And it's a relationship that is the most important relationship you can ever have. And it starts with you acknowledging that you're a sinner and you need his forgiveness and you want to follow him. So I'm going to lead those of you who want to pray that prayer. And then I'm going to move into a prayer for all of us that we would seek every day to enter through the narrow way. Not that we we're having to re become a Christian again. It's that we're deciding to follow him and his way and not the way of the world every day. So let's pray. God, as we gather here today and we have looked at the fact that you have called us to enter the narrow way, I recognize that there may be somebody who's never made that decision and they want to do that today. And so if that is you, I encourage you to pray these words silently back to God wherever you are. Here's the first thing. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him back to life. And today I declare that I trust him as my savior and that I want to follow him as my Lord for all the days of my life. And we pray this in Jesus name, but we'll say amen to that, but uh, we'll keep us in a time of prayer. Father God, I'm so grateful for everybody here who has answered your call 
to enter in through the narrow way that is through Jesus. And I pray for each and every one of us who have made that decision that we will seek to keep our eyes on Jesus and that we'll recognize everything that you and Jesus have for us as we seek to follow you each and every day. So Lord, keep us from the temptation of the ways of the world. Help us be true to you when we fall and make a mistake. Help us pick ourselves up and confess our sins and receive forgiveness and continue to be followers of you. And most importantly, Lord, help us share this truth with others who don't know it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc. 